0: Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant, and yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. He is worthy. Somebody say he's worthy tonight. Amen. He is worthy. Have you had a restful day? Anybody had a restful day today? Anybody here got a nap? Raise your hand if you got a nap. Let me just kind of see. Oh, that's not very good. Wait, one more time. Raise them up high. How many of you got a nap today? Oh, man. Oh, man. We got to do better next week, right? I wanna encourage you guys to try and find a way to take a nap, if you can, on this day. On the day we set aside to worship the king and rest our minds and bodies, the scripture says the six days are made for work, and there was one day made to rest and to worship, and I pray you and I would take that seriously. Um, Did you know we need that? I I agree with you. Take your Bible, if you will. Uh, That sounded like it, didn't it? Yes. If you have your Bible, join me tonight in Philemon. We're gonna go back to Philemon, okay? Philemon, Philemon, however you call it and uh, it's a man's name. So I'm gonna call him Philemon, all right? That'd be all right with y'all, great. Okay, here we go. And uh, what I want you to find with me is where we left off. Actually, we're gonna go back a couple of verses. We're gonna pick back up in verse number 17 and go on down through the end through verse number 22. There's a few other verses in that in his closing as he reminds them who's with him and he's closing to say, "Great, the grace of our Lord be with you. Um, but we're gonna deal with a few things here at the end of this letter. Now, how many of you remember the occasion for this letter? Anybody remember? Uh, there is a man by the name of Onesimus and Onesimus is, what's, what is o- Onesimus' role? He is a slave, a former slave. We could say it that way. Uh, because Onesimus has responded to the gospel, and he's received Jesus as his Lord. And he did that as a man who was in chains. Anybody know his name, shared the good news with him? Paul. And so Paul, we said, was living the mission, even in chains, as he's writing letters of encouragement to the churches, and he's written a letter to this man to receive his slave back. But remember what he said to him. He said, receive him back, not as a slave, but receive him as... A brother, boy, you guys are learning the word of God. Thank you for that. And so, as we dive in tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to go right on through and learn a little bit more, uh, and be re-encouraged by a couple of truths this morning. Uh, I uh, don't know about you guys, but I think it's it's good for us to pause and give God high praise for what He did in this house this morning. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you were here for the uh, ten fifteen worship time, but I'm telling you, the altars were full. And, uh, and we had many come to faith in Christ, and many return to him, and uh, many who dealt with the, the, the avenue of forgiveness. And uh, I'm just so thankful that the Spirit and the Word are still working with me and you, aren't you? Because we're working work in progress, and without him, we'd be sunk. And so he's still dealing with us. I'm so glad. And I, I want to say this to you. Please don't let us get to this place where we're like, huh, the altars are full. People were waiting in the aisles to go and, and spend time in prayer and repentance and return, and eh, just another Sunday. Uh, be careful to stay in awe of what you see God do. And never let it be a common thing. And never let it be an ordinary thing. And it ought to be what you talk about. It ought to be what you're pointing to. It ought to be what you're praising him for. And uh, lest you, I pray that you come every time expecting to see God move. And so let's dive And by the way, we have revival coming up. And that starts next Sunday. All right? Anybody glad? Some of y'all are like, really? Yeah, we've said it a whole bunch, but I'm, we're gonna say it some more. And uh, this week, we're gonna have some different prayer gatherings at some different places, but I'm gonna have to be sharing that with you through social media, and different things as that unfolds, okay? And uh, we'll have some maybe here at the church, some will be in some homes. And so if you're interested in having a, a housing a group or having a few people at your house, uh, let me know. It's not a big, you don't have to uh, dress up and do a whole bunch of stuff. It's just a little time together to have some focused prayer time uh, toward the man of God and the work of God and what God wants to do here. Remember, our evangelist's name is Ronnie Smith. He's a dear brother of mine from, from Georgia, and I can't wait to see how God's going to use him, what God wants to say to me and you, and how he's going to revive our hearts. Somebody said, we've already been revived. We need, hey, We need reviving every moment of every hour of every day. Wouldn't you agree with him? Sometimes we say, well, look how many people we're reaching. Look how many. We're having to expand and this and that. Listen, there are so many people in this zip code, in 39073, in this particular zip code, that if everybody was gathering in churches in our area, every church within a 10-mile radius would have to have 11 Sunday morning worship times. What's the point? The point is we ain't there yet. And there's a lot of work to be done, amen? May we never be complacent. Dive in, ph- Philemon chapter uh, one, obviously only one chapter, verse 17, verse 17. Would you stand tonight in honor of reading God's word? And let's read seven, verse 17 all the way down through the end of the letter, okay? Remember, this letter was to be read uh, by Philemon, but also by his, uh, uh, uh Afia. Most believe that Afia was most likely his wife. How about that? And, uh, and also some of his family, uh, part of that, but also to the church that's gathering in his house. Remember that he is a wealthy man. How do we know that he's not renting a room? in this particular time. So he had a house that makes him in the upper group. But then also he had a house big enough where the believers could gather. That made him even in a different group, okay? And uh, he owned a slave, at least on this Now remember what we talked about this morning. Uh, This is not a letter that is addressing slavery, but but it is, does that make sense? He doesn't take a social platform where he drives home that, but what he says is the believer, and what he does, he takes the opportunity to speak to a believer. He's speaking to Philemon. You're a follower of Jesus, so you no longer view Onesimus as a slave, but as a brother, as a brother. Equal footing. Aren't you glad that we are all on equal footing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, we are, and we all got here by grace. Picking up in verse seventeen, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. You remembering from this morning, uh, Paul is telling uh, Philemon or he's not telling him. Remember, he could have commanded him, but he said, "For love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to give you the choice." That's what God does. He wants love, and love is a decision. Okay, so he says, "Receive him as you would receive me." Uh, did you get the picture this morning when I talked about when you know when somebody who's betrayed you knocks at your door, you get a certain feeling. Huh? You see him in Walmart, you get a certain feeling? They've done you wrong, they've stabbed you in the back, they've betrayed you, they've hurt you, they've stolen from you, that's what. But he said, I don't want you to receive him that way, I want you to accept him as if it was me coming to your door. And remember, Paul was the one who won Philemon to Christ. So he was like, a. Uh, they were connected, they were fellow laborers, they had a, a good, great relationship. And so he's saying, how do you feel when your good friend comes to your house? You have a good feeling, don't you? And he said, I want you to accept him as if it was me knocking at your door, wow. Wow, that's amazing to me. Verse 18, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Now listen to what he says. That's a period. Next statement. I will repay. This is a slave. He's just met him. He's a follower who's been helping him along the way. And here's what Paul says. If he owes anything, I'll pay it. Put it on my account. Yeah, he says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Verse 19, I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Oh, we're gonna deal with that here in just a minute. Okay, you owe me. That's interesting. Anybody find that interesting? Paul would tell Philemon, by the way, you owe me. Oh, okay. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Now, remember, he's already said he's a refresher of hearts. And so he's saying, don't break that testimony. Don't, don't break that testimony. Stay, stay with that pattern of being a refresher of hearts. Verse twenty-one: Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do. Listen to this, even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. <laughs> okay, while you're while these other things you're gonna do. By the way, while you're waiting on that, give me a room prepared. I'm about to come visit. For I trust that through your prayers, oh, I shall be. Granted to you. Oh my goodness. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, right? Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. And he closes the letter by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then he says, Amen. All right, let's pray for death just a moment together. God, we ask you tonight to give us, impart us tonight spiritual wisdom. Uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit would say to us from your word. God, we thank you that your word, how you preserved it and got it to us and delivered it in our language. And we thank you, oh God, for giving us your Holy Spirit to be our guide, uh, to guide us into truth. And then as we leave out of here, we go out on the practice field, we go out and see if we learn what we what we really learned. God, would you help us by the power of your Spirit? Lord, help me tonight to preach, but also help me to receive. And I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, we'd all be recipients of the word, that we would not just hear it, but God, that we would do it. Jesus said, blessed are you if you know these things and do them. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanking you. you. may be seated. Blessed are you if you know these things, Jesus said, and do them. All right. So tonight's message is entitled, the same as this morning's message. Let's see if you remember, raised to walk New. Raised to walk new. Why? When we died to ourselves and we were born again in the spirit of God into the kingdom from an enemy to a child, we were called by him not to live the same old way, the old way of thinking, the old nature. We've got to get to a place in our life where we stop believing it's okay to be like we used to be to be complacent with where we are, okay, uh, to just give excuse to say, well, this is how my mama was, this is how my daddy was, and this is how I've always been. uh, That's not an excuse to say, Jesus can't change me, and Jesus is not changing me. Instead, we ought to be constantly saying, Lord Jesus, come change me. Transform how I think and how I live, okay? So uh, as he goes on through this, we're going to look tonight at raised to walk new. What does it mean? This is part two, and this is going to be verses 17 to 22. And the main idea is the same. Can you believe that? You ought to leave this today with us when somebody says, what you, would you do yesterday? I worship with the people of God. And I learned one thing for sure. Jesus makes us new. And he made Onesimus new. He made Paul new. And he made Philemon new. We learned that today, hadn't we? This is, this is yes. All right, here we go. Uh, going back to verse 17, number one notes, and you so there's only about five of these, okay? Number one, write this down. Being new, we can receive those who wrong us. Just write that down. We touched on a little bit this morning, but we're gonna look at it a little bit more in detail tonight. Uh, being new, okay, Jesus makes us new. Being new, we can receive those who wrong us, those who do wrong to us and, and harm us and betray us. And wouldn't you agree with me that, that betrayal is one of the uh, most difficult pains to overcome? Anybody would say that? Uh, because oftentimes if we show hurt uh, because of betrayal, it appears to be weak, doesn't it? And so what our minds tell us, our old nature, our old nature, not the new nature, says you need to bow up, if you will. You need to act tough. You need to overcome. You don't need to be done like this. You can't let somebody talk to you like this and do you like this. And so there's, you can't be humble. You've got to be strong and proud and, and protect your name and your reputation. And you've got to, and boy, that old voice will talk you into doing some dumb things, won't he? Won't she? Being new, rather, we can receive those who wrong us. In verse seventeen, he says, "If you then, if then, you count me as a partner." In other words, if you and I are brothers, if you count me as as something worth value in your life, if you and I are working together, partner. It's a word that means that we are on mission together. By the way, if you're born again, you and I are partners. We're partnered in the gospel. Uh, we are going about sharing the good news, and we're prayer partners. Somebody said, well, we've never been praying. Yes, we are. We should be praying for the salvation of our family and our, and our, and our uh, people around us, our communities, our world. Uh, we are sharing the good news together. We're on, we're on partnership. What's our, what's our thing? We're living the mission. That's our theme for this year, which, by the way, is just about over, isn't it? Now, that don't mean our theme, our, our theme of our lives change, but our theme for the year is going to change. But, but to live the mission. And so Paul said, if you and I, if you consider me as a partner in the gospel, then here's what you should do. Receive him as you would me. Remember, verse 17 speaks to the fact that as followers of Jesus, being new, we really can receive those who wrong us. Have any of you been surprised by the fact that when somebody's wronged you, uh, you've been able, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and much prayer, you've been able to love somebody who you shouldn't love? Raise your hand if that's happened for you. Now, as we hold our hands up, listen, that's not an act of pride that says, oh, I'm able to love somebody who I shouldn't love and look at me. That's not what we raised our hand for. We raised our hand to say we are able to look at our lives and determine Jesus has done something we couldn't do. We're able to look at our lives and say, wow, I wasn't born that way. <laughs> I was not born with the capacity to just forgive uh, unconditionally. But Jesus, I was born again, and Jesus has helped me and grown me in grace that I'm able to receive people who wronged me. you know one of the greatest testimonies of your life is when you're able to forgive somebody who's wronged you? And we have a great example, don't we? Let me give you a couple of verses. We looked at them briefly this morning, but not in great detail. Ephesians chapter four and verse 32. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. You see that? Now why? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Someone asked me one time, what is the great motivation for me to forgive when this person has wronged me? And the great motivation is that Christ has indeed forgiven you of the unforgivable. And because of that, I'll never be justified to hold back forgiveness from someone who has offended me. Now, I need to stop here and just sort of clarify a few things because, well, I got a few questions this morning and I, I feel like there's probably more who are asking that question but just aren't always willing to approach me and ask me. And so the question is, here, let me just give you a question that was posed this morning. Can I do that? Can we just kind of talk as we're going through the scripture? Good, here we go. And the person, a couple of people said to me, um, if I'm forgiving somebody, what does that look like? Does that mean that I have no boundaries or put better put, if I have boundaries in my life towards somebody who has hurt me and still sometimes hurts me, am I not forgiving them by setting up boundaries? Okay, you see that? Now, first we need to determine what is true forgiveness. If I was to come sit down beside you and give you the microphone and say, what do you think is true forgiveness? How would you define it? I don't say that loud, just think about it. If I came sat down by you, Johnny, and I said, well, how would you, if I said this person forgave that person, what would that mean? That, what, what happened, what, what, what's going on there? Uh, uh, if I said to you, uh, tell me, write out in a word, forgiveness means, and you were to write it out, what would you write, okay? Now, I'm gonna take a stab at it. There are a lot of different definitions. I'm not gonna give you Miriam Webster's, okay? I'm not gonna do that. I just want us to think through it for just a second, okay? So if we're gonna look at a biblical example, who is our champion of forgiveness? Come on, say his name like you love him. Jesus. He's our champion on forgiveness. Now, if you'll remember, the greatest example you and I have of forgiveness is found in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. Luke 23 and verse 34. What's happening? Jesus has been sold out for some silver. You remember. He's agonized in the garden over what's coming next. He's been chained to a rock and whipped with a cat of nine tails. Uh, He's been drugged through the dirt. He's been uh, been dressed up like a puppet king. They've stripped his beard from his face. They've saturated his face with saliva. Uh, They've treated him worse than a criminal. And he's gone to the cross. And they have nailed his wrists and his feet to the old rugged cross, that Roman cross, that torture chamber. And they've hoisted him above the earth between the wrath of God and the rebellion of man. And there he stands as the mediator of a new covenant. Right? You see him? Can you see him there? Naked. The scripture says, barely recognizable as a man who's been beat so bad you can hardly tell he's a man. And there he is hanging on the cross. And what's happening at the foot of the cross is there, some people are rolling dice. And what they're rolling dice for is that he has a tunic that has no seam in it, and that was seen as a valuable garment. And they value the Son of God's garment more than they value the Son of God. The greatest gift ever given was sold out or, 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 or looked down upon in comparison to a piece of linen. And they're rolling dice. And as they're rolling dice to get his clothing, others are walking by and they're pointing up at him and saying, He's the Messiah. If he's the Son of God, let him come off there and save himself. Now, by the way, had he taken that bait? Had he been weak like me and his pride been stirred up? Because his power way outmatched his pride. You with me? Because he had no pride. And if he'd have been prideful in comparison to his power, he'd have evaporated the nails out of his wrist and healed himself. And he'd have went home and you would I'd be going to hell right now. But he didn't. In humility, he remained, and they're wagging their heads at him, and they're pointing their fingers at him. One thief on the cross, they're both making fun of him at first, but as time proceeds, one is still making fun, and one is determined that what he's seen is evidence that the man in the middle is being crucified is, in fact, the Son of God. And all this stuff is happening and there's agony in his body as he's hoisting his body up with the power of one leg. You say he had two legs. Yeah, but what they would do is nail one foot on top of the other. And so only one of your quads could really be activated to hold your body weight up. Why was that? Because the purpose of the cross was not for you to bleed out. It wasn't that Jesus would pour out all the blood in his body and die uh, by uh, losing his blood. No, no. It was, in fact, a long, arduous process of torture in, in which finally you'd suffocate. So all that's happening. All that's going on. And in the midst of that, you remember, John and and Mary are there, and uh, as we're approaching the Christmas season, we think about a mama who held in her arms God as a baby, and now she's seeing him uh, stripped naked, ridiculed, mocked, beaten, and crucified. And Jesus in the midst of that is saying to John behold your mother why because he cares about Mary when he's gone he, she's gonna need somebody to fill that role and he says to, uh, to her behold your son and so he's kind of dealing with people's hurts while he's hurting but more than that he makes a cry out to God on behalf of everyone that is there and here's what he says he says father don't hold against them what they're doing for they, <clears throat> he says, Father, don't do because they know not what they do. Let me read the verse, Luke chapter 23 and verse number 34. Father, here's the word he uses. You ready? Father, forgive them. With all of that going on, not, not after the pain was gone, not before the pain set in, but when all of the pain was crushing down upon him, his heartbeat was still centered on the forgiveness of mankind. Now, I want you to think for a minute about that statement, how unforgiving you and I can be sometimes. Somebody hurt our feelings. Somebody park in our parking space. Somebody say something out of the way. Somebody has a bad day and and treats us a little different. Uh, Somebody has a moment of weakness and does something to hurt our feelings or, you know, get us a little off track. And isn't it absurd that any child of God could ever find themselves in a place to say, I just won't forgive when we have a master who in the midst of all of that agony and all of that pain and all that suffering in the midst of it, in the middle of it, not when it was gone, not after he'd seen a counselor, not after the wounds had been healed emotionally and physically, in the moment, his prayer is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What's Jesus's prayer? Don't hold their offense against them. Don't punish them. May they not receive the punishment that is due what they've done. So then, let's go back to the original question that I pondered. The question that I wanted us to ponder was what is forgiveness? I believe that forgiveness is when the person gets to the place where they don't want the person that's done the offense to suffer the consequences of their actions. What can you base that on? Jesus. Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. Sometimes we say, you know what? I forgive you, but I sure hope you have a flat tire. Huh? And that is not, in fact, the kind of forgiveness, thank God, that Jesus is extended to me, nor extended to you. And so we have this, listen to what he says. He says, uh, if you count me as a partner, as, as you, as if you see me as a fellow co-laborer in the gospel, then, then I want you to receive Onesimus, I want the one who stole and snuck out most likely in the cover of night and took what belonged to Philemon and left, Uh, obviously probably had a debt he was paying by his service, but more than that, even took something with him and he betrayed him and he was in a safe house, he was in a comfortable house, he was taken care of in the house and he left all of that behind and Paul said to him, it's not an excuse to withhold forgiveness from him. Now who could say that except someone who had received such great great forgiveness from God. How many of you think that Paul knew a little bit about forgiveness? Why, because he was a murderer of Christians. He was a persecutor of the church and he never felt like, ever, that he deserved to be part of, He he knew he was. He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt he was a child of God but he never felt like he had earned it because of some wonderful sermon or some great letter that the Holy Spirit used him to write. He knew he didn't deserve it. It was all by the grace of God that he was what he was. So you and I, being new, can receive those who wrong us. We can. How? We look to our master. We look to the one who set the tone for us, the one who lived out the life perfectly. And so you and I are called to forgive one another. And I want to challenge you again because I believe with all my heart, maybe you weren't here this morning or maybe you delayed this morning, maybe your ears were uh, distracted this morning when I said to you, uh, the word of God says that true love, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, keeps no record of wrongdoing. Not in an old text message not in an old letter written to you, not in an old email, and not even in an old thought. So tonight, some of us just need to really simply pray, oh God, would you give me a divine forgetfulness? Would you give me a Holy Spirit touch that I might not always be rolling around in my head the offense of what happened to me, and that by that I would be in a prison myself of unforgiveness and bitterness? Listen to me jesus died not for me and you to put ourselves in the prison of unforgiveness and anger and bitterness he wants me and you to live free how do i know that he bled and died so that we could not when we get to heaven friend listen but even now i wish all would go with me on this journey being new we can receive those who wrong us we can we can number two in your notes write this down being new being new we have a new focus now, let me explain in verse number 18 and 19. Listen to what happens. Paul says now, but if he was wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Being new, we have a new focus. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Now, first we see in verse 18 and 19, Paul's explanation that no longer is his focus only about his own safety, comfort, and pleasure. What do you mean by that? Well, he's incarcerated and he could go free, but he's, remember, challenging, and he wants to go all the way up sharing the good news uh, to all the Roman authorities, and so he's not so concerned with his freedom and his safety and his comfort, but he's concerned about, whose is he concerned about? Onesimus, but also Philemon, and he knows that Philemon will never be what Christ wants him to be until he's forgiven and received Onesimus, and he knows Onesimus, needs the forgiveness of his brother to walk in joy and peace. I'm listen, Paul was focused not on himself, but he was focused on others. Isn't it hard when things are difficult to not focus on yourself? You notice how when things get hard, our prayers uh, sort of narrow down, don't they? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about just when you have a little sore knee. I'm talking about when the pressures of life are bearing down on you. What generally is the focus of your prayer life then? Whatever it is, myself, whatever's bearing down on whatever. Oh, Lord, get me out of this. Oh, God, would you help me? Oh, and we, we cease sometimes to share the gospel, live the gospel, and pray for people and the lost, and live the mission because we get so self-contained in what we're facing. And But we're, that's the old nature. It's focused on self. The new nature is focused on others. Maybe you'd write that in your notes somewhere. Being new, we have a new focus. Our focus shifts from us to other people. Let me give you a verse, can I do that? That'd be all right with y'all? Here we go, Philippians chapter two, verse three and four. Again, the Apostle Paul, listen to what he says, let nothing be done in your life through selfish ambition. You know what selfish ambition is? Ambition for myself. It's, it's what we use to pick our parking place. Uh-oh, there he goes again. Now you have to consider tonight how you pick your parking place. When you pull on campus, did your first thought say, I need to think about these people that can't get around, their knees hurt, they're getting a little older, they're a little younger, their bodies don't walk, they got, they're in a wheelchair. I, I was uh, helping one of my brothers today uh, try to come in with a wheelchair here and the flow of people, because the preacher preached too long, and they were... Everywhere and he and so I said, Come on, we're gonna go that way. And we went that way. And I'm telling you, people just stayed in the way. They wouldn't I said, Man, they won't even consider the guy that needs a little help in the wheelchair to slide out of the way, and let the guy come on through. And the point I want to make to you is we get so locked in on ourselves where we're going, where we're gonna sit. Right? Which service is more comfortable to us? What well, parking place is our parking place, and we get so self-centered and self-focused that we really begin to put a wet blanket on the gospel. So think about that. When you pull on a campus, when's the campus, what's the first thought that hits you? Let's be honest. Generally, it's what? Where am I going to part? What's the closest I can get to the door? How can I make this easier on me? And that's the old way of thinking. And it's so evident that that's how we make most every, let's just be honest, it's how we make most every decision in our life. If I give, how's this going to fake me? If I give up my time, how's this gonna affect what I wanna do? If I give up my money, my resources, how's it gonna affect what I wanna buy? And we, we tend to gauge everything through, how does it benefit me? And here's what Paul's saying, he's saying don't, don't let anything in your life be done through selfish ambition. By the way, I, I need the Lord to do a great work of grace in my heart in that area. Anybody else? I do. I need him to do a great work of grace. So not, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, here it is, humility, Let each one esteem or think about or uh, rate in your life. Let each esteem others. You ready for this? Come on, somebody help me. Better than, I'm waiting for y'all reading with me. All right, let's read it again. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You're better than me, so I need to give you the best parking place. You're better than me, I need to let you have the first place in line. You're better than me. I need to be considerate about your spiritual growth. I need to be thinking about how I could make you stumble or not. I need to be more mindful of you than I am of me. And that is, my friend, a great work of the Holy Ghost. Wouldn't you agree with me? It only comes through a steady diet of spending time at the feet of Jesus in his word every single morning as you start the day. It only happens as a transformative work. Listen, you'll not wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm gonna try harder to think more about others because automatically you'll start thinking about yourself. And and so I'm praying this for me and you, that we become a selfless people. Uh, That that when we think about like this morning, when crowds are like they are, that we're inviting people, and we're willing to give up our chair, and we're willing to give up our parking space, our, hour hour whatever that is. And that our lives are more about the spiritual formation of others. Listen to what he says here in verse 19. I'm Paul, I'm writing to you, I'm I'm more concerned about Onesimus, I'm more concerned about philemon I'm, I'm more concerned about you two's relationship i'm more concerned about you two's spiritual development that's what paul's saying in his actions or his letters what he's saying is if you just sort of read between the lines is i care more about you guys spiritual development than just my own comfort and safety and pleasure and, and you and i ought to listen <clears throat> let, let me share something i wrote in my notes This is something i wrote I, I believe see if you can agree with it we should be considerably more concerned with the spiritual development of others than we often are Do you believe that's a true statement? We should be considerably more concerned with the spiritual development of others than we oftentimes are. Not what can I get, but what can I give? Not what can I, what did God say to me, but how can I take what God said to me and apply it to the spiritual help of others around me? Oh, you and I ought to think about that. Uh, That is, uh, let's take and make some application here for a minute. That means, uh, husbands, you ought to be uh, very much considering the spiritual development of your wife. And wives you ought to be very heavily thinking about and praying about and considering the spiritual development of your husband and I could say this about single folk uh, and their friends or in dating relationships or or I could say it tonight about I could say it about dads and moms you ought to be way more we ought to be way more considerate about the spiritual development of our children than we oftentimes are I wish unto God that people would get so serious about the spiritual development of the children as they are about their development in soccer, their development in academics, their development in playing an instrument, their development in any other temporary thing that 150 years from now will be remembered no more. The spiritual development. How concerned are you with the spiritual development of those? How about children to parents? I wish I could tell you how many tears I've seen stained at this altar praying for dads specifically, mostly dads, that dads would come to faith, that dads would come be the leader, that dad, I'm talking about little children, little boys and little girls, I wish I could tell you, I could give you name after name after name, I'd never do that. But I'm telling you, they've wet the carpet up here with the tears that they've prayed that their dad, their mom, specifically most times it's their dad, that their dad would develop spiritually because their family is desperate for a leader. Children. Consider of the development of their parents, parents very, very much considering the develop, spiritual development of their children. How about friends? You see, friends oftentimes just want to hang out. And I'm telling you, do you know that your circle is so critical to your spiritual development? Let me ask you again. I had about eight people up front. Some of y'all looking up at the car, up at the sky and all. Listen to me. You need to hear this if you don't hear anything else. Do you understand how important is your circle of influence to your spiritual development? you show me a person's friends i'll show you that person yeah you, you become like them they become like you that's how that works and so what i want to say to you is how much more spiritually developed are your friends because of you question i want you to wrestle with i could apply it to your marriage relationship sir how much more spiritually developed is your wife because of you ma'am how much more spiritually developed is your husband because of you how much more spiritual developed are your children? It ought not be Brian or, or Jackie or Martha or me or Gerald or others who are spirit. Listen, we get little touches with them during the week. The spiritual development. How, how, how much more spiritual are they in their development in their growth and walk with Jesus because of you? I just want you to think about that for just a minute, all right? As we think about being new, we have a new focus. Paul said, I'm so concerned about Onesimus. And Philemon. I want to just say something to you. There have been a lot of days in my life, I, if I'd have been in Paul's situation, I just, I know sometimes I'm not anywhere near spiritual, and I would have found myself saying, listen, I'm not worried about y'all. Y'all going to have to work it out on your own. I got my own set of problems. I'm in jail. <laughs> I, y'all, y'all work it out. Go on, leave me alone. I'm, I need to get me a GoFundMe and get me some people protesting because I'm in jail and I ain't done nothing wrong. But he wasn't. He wasn't. I love the picture, aren't you? of the gospel on display in Paul's life? Oh my, that you and I would walk with Jesus that way. Uh, Being new, we have a new focus. Question I wanna ask you, then I'm gonna move on, I promise I'm gonna move on to this. In your circle of influence, are you an asset, right? Are you an asset? Are you one who is a deterrent? Are you a deficit? Are you bringing your wife down? Are you bringing your husband down? Are you bringing your children down? The people you hang out with, the things you talk about with them, the things that you show them, the way that you spend time putting the word in them, quoting that, spending time talking about what God is teaching you. Are you an asset to your friendship spiritually or are you a deficit? I pray unto God you and I would be an asset and that your circle of influence would be better because of your faith in Jesus. And that you leave out of these walls tonight, you say, hallelujah, I'm not gonna be that old person anymore, I'm gonna be the new me that Jesus died for me to be, and I'm by the grace of God and the word of God and the spirit of God, I'm gonna go out tomorrow and I'm gonna be, listen, in the help of of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to be an asset to my friendships. People are gonna be developed spiritually because they know me, and that's what God will do. So that's what's happened. Let me move on, number three, in your notes, write this down, okay? We have a new relationship with joy, with joy. Now, I had a previous relationship with joy, but my joy and my previous relationship with with joy was about what I could do in the moment to feel like I had joy. Any of y'all ever been there? Had to be with the right people, had to be at the right party, had to be drinking the right alcohol, had to be, uh, you know, all the conditions had to be right. And it felt like joy, didn't it? Problem was, it was fleeting. It just kept running away right out from out of our grasp. We just keep trying to grab it, wouldn't we? And it was right outside of our reach. Listen to what happens in verse 20. Yes, brother. Now, when I say we have a new relationship with joy, I'm going to talk about two ways, okay? Paul said, yes, brother. Listen, don't you see how he's, he's still loving on him, isn't he? Yes, brother. Let me have joy, listen, from you in the Lord. Now, Paul's saying that, that we now, listen, we can find joy in the obedience of others. Let me ask you something do do you find joy do you feel a feeling of joy when you see people wrestling with the word of God and then obeying it I'm telling you one of the greatest joys of my life is to see that the children of God you guys and me and my own children walk in the truth to see you talk about how I'm telling you nothing thrills me more than one of you guys walk up to me and tell me what Christ is teaching you and how you're applying it it's it's a it doesn't go away, I don't have to get drunk, I don't have to do something else, I can just think about what, what you are doing in obedience to Christ, and it just, I'm telling you, it just brings more joy than I could ever explain. And so I wanna just turn that question on you, do you, do you have joy? You have joy when, when your faith family, when your friends, when your spouse, when your children are walking in obedience to the Lord. See, our joy is no longer attached to circumstances because that's fleeting. Our joy is attached to the spiritual development of others. And part of spiritual development, listen, is obedience to God. It's obedience, all right? So we find joy in others. That was little number one. We have a new relationship, two ways: Number one, we find joy in others' obedience. And number two, we cause other believers joy when we obey God. So we receive joy when we see other believers following Christ, but also we cause joy when we obey God. When we obey God, look again in verse number 20. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Think about that for just a minute. Uh, Rejoice and, and fill my heart. So what, I'm, what we're finding out is that Paul can have joy because of, uh, excuse me, Philemon's obedience, but Philemon can produce joy by following Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? This is yes. You may not think that's wonderful. I'm telling you it's wonderful. And if you're trying to find joy in any other place, listen. I'm telling you, something's off. If you don't find joy when somebody's obeying God, it ought to, is something wrong. Listen, there's something askew in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, this last week in this, at this pastor's conference, I won't share any names, but there was a lot of counseling going on between uh, some of us who were leading and the, and the pastors who were there, and it was such a sweet time because they don't. They don't. Pastors don't get a lot of that. Okay. And as we were, one of I was talking with one a particular couple, and they shared with me some things that were going on in a past church. And you know what I thought? I thought, oh boy, he's bitter. You know how you have a little preconceived notion? You probably don't do that. Sometimes I do that, okay? And he's telling a story, and I'm already walked the story out to the end because my brain walks 1,000 miles an hour, and this guy kind of talked a little slow. And so I had five scenarios already worked out in my brain. And I'm listening, and he's talking, and he's talking about some things that people in the church had done to him and to his wife and they were, they were in a serving capacity and his wife had responded with an email uh, to, to one of the, uh, staff, one of the pastors and, and just kinda was a little bit rough in the email. Y'all, don't, y'all are surprised we get those sometimes, aren't you? Huh? and got a little rough in the email, and was telling, and I'm thinking, hmm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, I wonder what's going on, and he kind of talked to her, and he said, he said, and, then, and he said, when well, my one of them responded by saying, well, we don't have any time to fool with you. Oh, they didn't say it that way. We won't be able to meet until about three weeks from now, and, uh, and he said, I was like, this is unacceptable, and I was waiting for him. I was, Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was waiting for him to say, we were angry, and I told him, that's not going to work. We're going to but he said, when he, when, he, he said when, when he said it to me, he said, man, I, I couldn't go that long. Here's this, well, you're talking about a turn, a plot twist. He said, we couldn't wait that long without repenting. I said, wait, what? He said, yeah, we didn't realize that we'd gotten bitter and we were the, we were the problem. We had, been, we had been doing this and we've been doing that and we were the ones, and that, and that email we sent was wrong. It was wrong. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have talked to our, our, our pastor like that and our attitude was wrong. And, and I'm going, wait, what? Am I hearing this right? because you don't ever hear that. You hear everybody else was wrong. I'm getting somewhere. So I said, man, tell me, what did you do? He said, well, we, we just went on up there and we, we, well, I sat down and I just began to explain that, that we just need a little bit of time but what we needed to do was repent and that we had been wrong in our attitudes and the way we had responded. And he said, I had not been leading my wife well through her situation so her situation had built and so what she did, he said, I take responsibility for I almost fell on, my, I almost fell on the floor, almost fell on the floor. You see, because I was reminded of a great truth that I already know, and that is this. For the husband, it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. The Word of God says we take responsibility for everything that happens in our marriage and in our homes. And so, he said, we found, I said, well, he just kept talking, and I'm over there just weeping, you know. And he said, what we did, we had to find about 20 people. We had to make a list of everybody we had offended in that time. I said, you did what? Yeah, we sat down and talked about everybody we had talk negative about or things that we had done, and we went to each one of them one at a time. And I'm going, that's so, you know what was happening in that moment? That's so refreshing. My, Paul said, obey. Ph- Philemon, obey. Do what you're supposed to do. Receive him as a brother. Forgive him. And, and God had said to this brother, repent, go to each one of them and repent. And, and, and Paul said, if you'll obey Philemon, my heart will be refreshed. And as this man was telling me about his obedience, you know what's happening in my heart? My heart was being refreshed. I'm like, that's so refreshing because most people, it's everybody else's fault. And true repentance is refreshing and true obedience. And I said, tell me more. And he said, through that I shared the testimony one night and my daughter got saved. I said, come on, man, tell me more, tell me more we just talked and we just kept on talking about all the fruit that came from obedience. You see, when you obey, you, you are then creating a platform for other believers to have joy because of your obedience. Refresh my heart. And Paul said, do this thing, Philemon, do it. Do, do what God's, lead. you know what's right. Receive this brother, forgive him, and, and do that and your life will continue the pattern you've already had. You'll refresh my heart with your obedience. Oh, I wish tonight that all of us would be refreshers of the hearts of each other by our obedience to Christ. Wow, what a, what, a, what a testimony. Let me move on if I can, okay? We said number three was we have a new relationship with joy. Number four, we have a new level of obedience. Now we've got to hurry because we've run out of time. Can y'all believe that? I was a little concerned when we got started that we were gonna run late. We had, y'all are supposed to smile and laugh a little bit right there, all right? We have a new level of obedience. Look at Verse 21. We said Christ makes us new. Y'all say it with me, Jesus makes us new. We have a new level of obedience. You see, there's a part of us that says, well, let's see if you can relate. There's a part of me and you that says, let me do just enough to say that I did the right thing. Do you know that about me and you? That's an ugly, honest truth, isn't it? About me and you. But oftentimes, we hear something from the word of God or somebody gives us some godly counsel and we know it's true biblically, and so we try to do the least amount we can to say that we did what was right. And Paul says, here's what I know about the faith you have, Philemon, the God you serve, the Christ in you. I believe you'll do more than what I'm asking you to do. I believe your level of obedience is more than just get enough done to say it was done. Do y'all see that? Look at what verse am I reading from? Verse 21, read it and see if you see it. Having confidence in, y'all help me, your obedience. A new level of obedience because Philemon, I'm convinced by the testimony of verses four through seven, you are a born again brother. Your life is lived on a different set of principles. It's evident by how you live. Jesus is Lord. So because of that, I'm confident that your response is going to be not just enough obedience to say, all right, come on in. I'll call your brother, but I'm not going to do anything special for you because you do special things for your brothers and sisters. You know that? And Paul said, I have confidence in your obedience. I write to you, and I have this confidence in my heart. Here's what I know. I know that you will do, y'all reading with me? Even more than I say. I wish you'd write those two words down somewhere in your notes, even more. That what Christ has called me to do, what I learned from his word, what the Spirit compels me, that I won't do it begrudgingly. I won't do just enough to check the box but because he has bought me with his own blood and he's made me new on the inside now because I'm headed toward heaven and he's gonna guide me by his spirit and supply my need through his word and through his church until I cross the finish line. Because of that, whatever I find him leading me to do, I'm not just gonna do a least amount to get by, I'm gonna do even, y'all help me, even more, even more. Glory to God, even more. Philippians 2.8 says this, and being found in appearance as a man, because we have a champion, We have somebody's example to follow. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. And he came obedient to the point of, but not just any death, he became obedient, even the death of the cross. Who's our example that we follow? Jesus, Jesus is our example. And then number five, we're gonna close here. Jesus makes us new, we have a new faith. Look in verse 22, but meanwhile, I love this. Until here's what. Meanwhile, what does it mean? Until onesimus gets there, and until you get to the place where the Spirit has helped you see him as a. Come on, you got to know this as a as a brother. Just as you see him as a brother. Meanwhile, also while you're doing that, while you're working through that relationship, letting Jesus restore it, also do this. Um, prepare a guest room for me. Now wait a minute, Paul. You're in jail. How, how am I gonna make a room for you? You're, in, you're behind bars, you're locked up. And how? And by the way, would you, res, would you feel it weird if somebody wrote you from prison and said to you, you know, they, they, they're gonna be there for a while and they wrote a letter to you and said, hey, listen, by the way, get me a room ready. you say, I'm not getting you a room ready. I mean, I got a room, but I'm not gonna get a room ready because you ain't coming, you can't come, you're there. I'm here, you're there, then I'm gonna let you out. But he said, you go ahead and get me a room ready. Because you see, when we're born again, we have a new level of faith. And what he says is, meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust. Here it is. I trust that through my great effort, my great plans, my great, no, I trust that through your prayers, I shall be, I love this word, granted to you. Meaning, I acknowledge who is in control. And if you'll petition the one who's in control, I believe it's in the will of God that I'll be there. So you go ahead and get me a room ready. It's the same scenario of saying, if I'm praying for rain, I'm tote my umbrella with me. He says, you pray for me, and I know that you're praying for me, and I, you go ahead and get me a room ready, because if you're praying, I'm believing, because whatsoever things you pray for expecting, the Word of God says you shall receive. You pray, and I'm gonna be praying, and yeah, I'm gonna be expecting so much, you go ahead and get me, I like to have a little pillow in there, and have me a blanket, and just get me a room ready, and I'm gonna, I'll have a spot when I get there, and we'll all just give praise and honor and glory to the King a new level of faith. Don't you and I need a new level of faith that we would pray and not just pray like flipping a coin and say, well, maybe it will or maybe it won't. But we would pray with faith in the will of God, pray the word of God back to God and we pray with confidence that God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And may he receive all the honor and glory as we walk the journey. Now, what I want to say to you in closing is simply this. Jesus makes us, somebody help me. New, let's pray together. Will you bow your head with me for just a minute? Just bow your head for a moment. How many of you know for certain that Jesus Christ has made you new? Would you slip your hand up? You know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Uh, I wanna just glance around just a little bit. So hold your hand up high. If you know beyond the shadow of a doubt Jesus Christ has made you new, hallelujah to the Lamb of God, most every hand is raised in the house. If you don't know that, if you don't know that, I pray that you would consider the fact that Jesus Christ can make you new tonight. He'd make you brand new tonight. In him, you'll be justified. Meaning, like Onesimus, you'll go from a slave to a child of God. And Christ alone can do that. You can't work your way into it. Jesus is the only way you can come into the family of God, his death and his resurrection, and you confessing him as Lord. So if that's not happening for you, I encourage you, what better time than right here and right now? Whether you're in this room right now or you're out there somewhere in uh, different states, it's amazing to me how many different states are represented in the comments of people worshiping with us on a continual basis, but also other parts of the world. Or if you're in the nurses, you know, at the nurses' desk tonight or in the PICU, or or you're in the captain's room or if, I don't know where you are, but I know this, I know that if you've never given your life to Jesus, he's after you. And what he wants to do is, is, is give you justification, meaning that in him you can be seen as God just as if you'd never sinned. Jesus, like Paul, said this in a much grander way. I'll take your sin on my account. I'll become sin for you. And I'll take my righteousness and put it on your account and that's what he'll do, that's what he promises and that's what he'll do, it's what he's done for me, it's what he's done for countless others and I'm telling you, it makes me so excited to know that Christ has done that for me and I wanna tell people, I wanna tell them, he can do that for you and he will do that for you and so if you have not, what, were you, what are you waiting on to invite him to be Lord, to receive him tonight? Or maybe you've drifted from him and tonight you're reminded of his great love for you and his great power and, how he offers all of these wonderful blessings if we walk with him. So maybe tonight you'd come home. Maybe God's stirring in your heart to be part of this gathering. And so I challenge you tonight. If the Spirit is strong, what are you waiting for? It could be that, like Chad this morning, you're here and you'd know for certain when you gave your life to Christ, but you've never followed through in public baptism, public profession of faith. And the Spirit has been eating your lunch about that lately and right now there's no better time than right now to come and say you know what i need to get that settled I- i'm not going to make you gonna get you into heaven or keep you out but there's a huge step of obedience that says i want everybody to know that i belong to jesus would you come tonight if that's you i want to say that the altar's open if you feel that to come and to pray or to have someone pray for you gerald's down front already and i've been making my way down there and johnny and beverly going to help us tonight And as they make their way up, let me invite you to stand with me. Would you do that? Just stand to your feet. And I wanna say to you that would you, maybe tonight you got just something on your heart, somebody on your heart. Then i want to invite you to come to one of these and say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you just pray for me? Would you pray for my family? Would you pray for my son, my daughter? Would you pray for my coworker? Hey, we've got revival coming up. Maybe there's somebody's name on your heart. You just walk up to one of these ladies or gentlemen and say, here's a name. Would you pray for this name? Would you pray for this person? Just give them a name and they'll pray. So you come as the Spirit leads tonight. You come, let them pray for you, okay? Now, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you have shared with our hearts tonight. I pray that we would live new. Forgive me for the areas of my life where I live old, where I live like the old me, the old nature. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would deliver me from my own self. And I pray that for the same, every person within the sound of my voice. God, I pray you do a work tonight, a mighty work, a transforming work. Lord, help us, help us like Philemon to receive each other with forgiveness, but also to know that our joy is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and God, his righteousness. So tonight, do what you want to do in Jesus name. Amen.